0: and welcome to the Glass Frog Podcast.
1: I'm your co-host, Jen Puma. And I am your co-host, Rebecca Casciano. So Jen and I are really enjoying our season four guests, yep. and we can't wait to share what we learned about ripple effect mapping from Jennifer Taylor and Sarah Golitz. So Jennifer and Sarah, they work at the Indiana Area Health Education Center, uh, which they refer to as AHEC in the episode. So just Keep in mind, that's what AHEC stands for. Um, And that's part of the Indiana University School of Medicine and they're researchers. And they happen to stumble upon ripple effect mapping as a way of, I guess, both understanding and articulating how a program works uh, and its impact in the community and often kind of unanticipated impact in the community. And now, as they share during the episode, they have become ripple effect mapping evangelists. And so we had them on the show because we wanted to learn from them.
0: Yeah, they were so great. and very generous with their time and patiently explaining the methodology and laying it out. So you'll get a really good picture from them, um, how ripple effect mapping works. Um, but, you know, everything from selecting participants to how they implement during the workshops and then how they're summarizing and reporting findings to their client. They they cover all of this from soup to nuts. We certainly learned a lot from them. Um, we're going to post, as always, post some resources on the episode page of our website so you guys have access to that as well.
1: Yeah, and Jen and I are eager to try this out at some point. Uh, So yeah, maybe we will, and there'll be a follow-up episode with our experience. (laughs) Um, One thing we actually found interesting was some of the ancillary benefits to the ripple effect mapping process. So the process will be explained in the episode, but during the ripple effect mapping process, You put people from different backgrounds who have interacted with the program in different ways in the same room. And then you very intentionally place each participant into a pair and the pair asks each other a set of questions. Um, And then from there, the ripple effect mapping process begins. So one of the interesting things that comes out of that process is that the pairs end up networking with each other and creating connections that can kind of live beyond their time in the workshop. Which is neat. It's a a kind of neat way Mm -hmm. of connecting people who may not know each other or know a lot about each other, but are affiliated with this program or organization, connecting them with each other so that they can develop these more organic networks that would kind of live beyond the experience of the ripple effect mapping.
0: Yeah. And in the same vein as as what you're saying back, the fact that all of these people from different backgrounds are in the room talking about the same program means that they often learn new things about that program that they didn't previously know. Like whether it's activities that they weren't aware of or different ways in which the program may have an impact on the community. It's sort of, they're, they're all holding this like piece of a puzzle and they don't know it. And they're coming together in this process and kind of like putting down their different puzzle piece and like creating this bigger picture, which is really cool. And so it's, that's like exactly what you want them to do as part of ripple effect mapping. But then they, they're kind of realizing that they're they're kind of learning from each other during that process as they're paired up and learning what different puzzle pieces they each hold. And that that sort of meta <laughs> aspect of this is, is pretty cool too. So I think it's just a great way of promoting curiosity and organizational learning in addition to culling effects of a program. So I think it's great.
1: Yep. So we know that you were going to find Jennifer and Sarah (laughs) to be both interesting and warm. And we're really grateful that you've tuned in as listeners. Uh, So we appreciate that. And thank you also, obviously, to Jennifer and Sarah for their time. So Jen, do you have an unwitting sponsor for this episode? I do. So
0: at first, my unwitting sponsor was going to be Donuts. Donuts didn't know that. And donuts also doesn't know that I'm no longer making donuts. The unwitting sponsor, donuts has been replaced for me by the babka. I am rather new to babka as a as a dessert. I've 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 had it here and there, but I I think this is an untapped resource that we really need to explore in terms of like dessert offerings. So I'll just say I've had a chocolate babka. Chocolate is amazing. And I was like, oh, I, I could see, I could do this. But then recently I had like a run-of-the-mill, I say run-of-the-mill because it wasn't like, I got it at like a supermarket. So it was like run-of-the-mill cheese babka. And I was like, yeah, move over cheese Danish. Cheese babka is where it's at. And I know they have a cinnamon babka out there in the world, but I have not tried the cinnamon babka. I'm just saying there's, there's like options here. And like, it's this really nice, like in between a bread and like a, donut. I, I had to do a little research, truth be told, to like under, truly understand its origins. So went down a little bit of a Wikipedia rabbit hole. But at, Rebecca,
1: have you ever had a popka? I know that I've had it. I can't say that I remember right? its taste mm-hmm. or texture very well. Does it have raisins in it?
0: Um, I don't think so, but it could be that it does. And I'm I'm not well-versed. So I-
1: Was the one that you had the other day, did it have raisins in it?
0: No, no. I, I've only known it to be like a specific, like cheese, chocolate, cinnamon. Sometimes it has, um, I've seen it with like a streusel on top, but not yes, with I've like, um, I, I don't know that it has like raisins in it. I've also seen it with like apples as well. Oh, you know what? According to Wikipedia, raisins could be part of the of the equation. Nutella is also there, there's some, I guess, modern preparations, but it's it's a it's actually an Eastern European Jewish bread, according to Wikipedia. So, you know, I'm I'm here for all of it. Honestly, Rebecca, I, I agree with you. The first time I had baklava, I was like, OK, yeah, this is good. And now I don't know what it is like. Maybe I'm maturing. <laughs> 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 but. I'm like ready to, to to dive in a bit more. I'm like, if there's any listeners with like a babka recipe, and you'd be willing to share it, if it's not like a family secret or anything, I think I might even have to try baking it to like really appreciate it. Although I'm a little intimidated because it looks it looks hard to me, but I might have to roll up my sleeves and and really immerse myself.
1: I see Make it that a full experience in the recipe. I'm looking at it. They soak it in uh, rum before making it which i feel oh. like is yeah maybe not what you had from
0: the supermarket no not at all
1: i didn't
0: uh i uh feel like i've heard of that type of dessert as well that's soaked in rum but
1: it's a rum cake
0: yeah uh, yes yeah that's that's maybe rum cakes will be uh, our unwitting sponsor in the future who's
1: to say well i yeah. so appreciate you bringing this um <laughs> Level of creativity and curiosity to our unwinning mm. sponsors. Before this episode posts, I'm going to find a babka and eat it so that I can mm-hmm. really experience what you're talking about because I think I don't think I've had it in probably 20 years.
0: Right. Well, I have some leftover from the one that I made yesterday and I, or not made, but like bought yesterday at the supermarket. And I put it in the microwave and heated it up. And that's some next level stuff right there. Just got to say, if you're eating your babka unwarmed, amateur. From from one amateur to another, I'm telling you, that's like extra amateur hour. You got to heat it up because it's fantastic when you heat it up. So I'll, I'll send a photo perhaps.
1: All right. Well, friends, go out, get your babka. Get two babkas, one one soaked in rum.
0: Don't share it with a friend, though. Two for you.
1: Two for you. (laughs) And yeah, enjoy your tasty treat. All right. Without further ado, let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you
0: both so much for joining us today. It is such a pleasure to have you. Rebecca and I are coming to this conversation on ripple effect mapping with uh tabula rosa clean clean slate and so we're really excited to learn from you guys um but before we jump into like the, maybe the substantive questions i was hoping that jen and sarah you guys could just tell us a little bit about yourselves and kind of like how you've come to evaluation because you know, As evaluators, we kind of bring our, our whole selves and our, our background and our experiences to the table when we do this work. So it'd be great to kind of have a sense of um, your backgrounds and, and where y'all are coming from.
2: Absolutely. So I'll start first. So my name is Sarah Gullitz. I have a background in public health, and my undergrad is actually in something that probably not many people know about, it's cytotechnology. I came into evaluation on accident, to be completely honest. I started working with Jen as a research assistant uh, in the Department of Family Medicine and our Area Health Education Center's network, where I did a lot with like database and stuff. And part of my job was to collect the evaluation. And I started liking it. (laughs) So then I actually had the opportunity to be hired on full time. And it's just kind of expanded from there. So I think a lot of people just kind of fall into evaluation, and I'm one of those people. Yep, you're in good which is company. Which Yep. <laughs> and
3: I'm Jen Taylor, so I'm glad that I get the blame of bringing Sarah into this world because she's been so much fun to have the last five, almost six years, I feel like. So I'm Jen Taylor. I actually have a background in public health as well, health education, and therapeutic recreation. So I've really been centered around a history of preventative wellness and mental health. And as Sarah said, I also fell into evaluation. So I did some work for the state looking at how do we promote healthy workplaces and healthful eating and exercise. And with any sort of public health program, it's very clear that evaluation is a key point, right? And so we started looking at how can we show an impact And so about 10 years ago, the Indiana University School of Medicine was hiring an evaluation coordinator for the Indiana Area Health Education Network, which is where Sarah and I both go. And so we really had an opportunity to dive in there, the mission match right away. And so with that, I just expanded my evaluation reach and scope and kind of working my way up within the organization, which allowed us to carve that space open to bring Sarah onto the team and then watch her grow as well. So we're very data focused on our team. You can put it that way.
0: Absolutely. Data nerds. Outstanding. So ripple effects mapping, it's so funny that you say that you're data nerds, because sometimes people say that and it's quantitative data, but you're, you're doing a lot of great work with qualitative data, especially with this ripple effect mapping. And so maybe we can just start by like describing it really basically for listeners who may not know what it is and just sort of like paint a picture of what that looks like in practice. We call
3: ourselves data nerd, but it doesn't have to just be quantitative, right? We always said quantitative tells us what's going on and qualitative tells us why. And so really, if you think about that public health, it's probably why we're drawn to this ripple effect mapping is really like this amazing marriage, between appreciative inquiry and live mind mapping. So what we're doing is basically trying to get a better grip or understanding of what is happening in a community or a program in live time and just blasting it up on a screen so that people can see it and help us almost analyze it together in real time.
2: Yeah. And I kind of want to piggyback off of that. One of the nice things about just the standard ripple effect mapping is that it's it's not very, it's not expensive. It's something that anyone can do as long as you have some paper or a whiteboard, even handy. So I know I got scared away from it because I'm more of a quantitative data person. Um, I'm used to people saying, okay, you're a data nerd. I, zeros and ones. Absolutely. So qualitative kind of scared me a little bit because it's, there's so much, it's that personal aspect of the data that you have to draw out and kind of read between the lines. And ripple effect mapping is really good with being able to draw those out without it being cumbersome without, if you don't have a really strong background in qualitative data, you don't have to be an expert. It Like it comes out naturally and exactly how you need it to be.
1: Can you give an example Uh, And and certainly we can refer our listeners to examples, but it would be great to just hear you walk through an example of what it looks like in kind of real time as you're doing it.
3: Sure. So we were very fortunate that Sarah and I were both trained directly from Dr. Scott Chasman up in the Minnesota Extensive Program. That is who I consider like the leader of ripple effect mapping, and we can share like a free ebook that he's created on kind of guiding people through it and your listeners through it. But basically imagine a two-hour session, sometimes on like, we try to do Friday mornings because then when we're done, people like to take half days, sometimes woo people with some donuts and coffee. But we walk in and we already have people pre-assigned for the appreciative inquiry piece. And so when we say appreciative inquiry, we really want to know What is going on with the program? So we will pick on, for example, our rural Indiana area health education centers, which is in the most rural area. He wanted to know the impact his AHEC was having. And so we had asked him beforehand to help identify the participants, but they were very specific people. We needed no more than 12 to 24, right? It had to be an even Mm -hmm. number. We needed half of those people to be familiar with his AHEC comfortable with understanding what he's doing. And we needed the other half to not be. We needed them to be on the peripheral, which sometimes might feel like a challenge of how do you get people to come to this two-hour session who may or may not know what I'm doing? We can touch on that in a minute. And so when someone walks in, we already have them pre-assigned in their pairs. So we just give a welcome. We have a one or two facilitators. I love facilitating with one of our colleagues, Jim, because we kind of bounce each other off on ideas. It almost feels like a comedy show sometimes with the way we're interacting.
2: Definitely, And a Sarah show. is
3: right there behind us and on the screen, ready to go with the live mind mapping. So for the first half of the session, we really have already paired people off with, here, please complete this appreciative inquiry exercise of no more than three questions, talking about what are some things that have come out of this program, what are some unintended experiences, maybe new connections, trying to draw out of those potential ripples. So once they are done, we have our folks take a break, and then we come back and we do a group exercise where they're sitting in like a semicircle, where our quote-unquote comedy act comes into play, and we literally ask folks to introduce their partners using that appreciative inquiry guide. And as they're going, Sarah is collecting what they're saying, almost for debate on the live mind map that they can see behind us. And we are listening to them and trying to piecemeal, well, tell us more a little bit more about this. Or you mentioned X. Can you tell us what you meant by that? So we're trying to pull a little bit more out as we get through this. And that's the second
2: half. Mm-hmm. And then, so like what happens when I'm doing my part is those, she said I was mapping it they end up being little bubbles on this screen. So we use this free software called Xmind. Obviously, you don't have to use that software. You can use giant Post-it notes. You can use a whiteboard, whatever you want to capture this information. But we use Xmind because it's simple and you can just project it onto a wall. But they come out into these little bubbles. So each bubble contains a thought that the participants share. And what ends up happening is that after they get done reporting out and, you know, the two moderators, usually they're outside the organization moderators. That's kind of key because you don't want the leadership in that program or the coordinators in that program to influence the way the discussion is going to go. So it's very important to make sure you have the people to be unbiased when you're trying to do the moderators. And uh, so as it's being made, um, once everyone's done reporting out, we will give them like a 10 minute break, you know, use the restroom, whatever. And then all the people who are in charge of it. So me, I'm the, the mind mapper. And then the two moderators will come together and try to figure out key themes that we hear throughout the report out. And usually you come up with about three to four. And one of the, the fourth one is usually always like unexpected outcomes or problems, but usually we like to keep it unexpected outcomes and then we'll just start piecing those bubbles together roughly. And then when everyone convenes back, I'll throw it up on the screen and say, hey, these are the main themes that we heard. What do you think? Should we reword them differently? We try to keep the themes like actiony, like action items, like engaging partners throughout the state or, you know, tailoring programs for health profession students. And then we start adding those thought bubbles and those ideas that everyone was saying to those topics and then it just kind of grows out and it's kind of like a tree branch you start with that main topic and then you just branch out those words and they'll help us throughout that process and then we do that for about 15 minutes and then it gets kind of cumbersome because there's usually a lot usually you have a giant page on your computer screen filled with these thought bubbles Um, but they'll go home and then it's my turn to then finish cleaning up those bubbles, reorganizing them where I think that they should go. And then what I do is I clean, export it and I send it to all the participants and say, here's our rough draft of our mind map. Did I capture everything that you need? Or did I miss something? Please let me know. And sometimes they'll write back, yeah, you didn't capture this exactly how I said it. It sounds better if you say it like X. So then I'll go back and I'll make those changes. And then once everyone is happy with it, we can finalize it and then send it out the group. So
1: how do you go about picking the right participants for this? I can, it, it feels like you need a, I don't want to say unique, but a special type of person <laughs> to kind of contribute productively to, to the process. I and mean, what is that process like? I think it's all about who you know, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've done this session
3: several different times. We've done it with our rural AHEC. We've done it a couple times with a local interprofessional practice center that's part of our university, which is how we learned about it. We've done it for a nonprofit. What I found is a lot of times we'll use the advisory boards. And as part of that invitation, we will ask if there's someone you think would be valuable for us to invite as well. So someone with the who you know, or can you Mm -hmm. join us nudge nudge. What we found really helpful though in the pairing. Is in that RSVP, right? Because you don't want to have too many people. Otherwise, two hours, you're going to run out of time. I and mean, Not everyone will have a voice. Is we ask them, what do you feel like your comfort level of knowledge is with XYZ organization or XYZ program? And that is really interesting because we have found that someone that we may perceive that consider themselves an expert and be like in our internal groups that, oh, I have no idea. What they are doing. And they perceive themselves as an outsider, and vice versa. Some that we wouldn't think they would have very much knowledge about what's going on on the inside, which is like, oh, I'm I'm an expert. And we're like, okay, well, this is all about perception. So we're gonna we're gonna count it as such. And we also ask for their disciplines or their organization so that, for example, our AHAC partner with. K through 12 schools, universities, hospitals, clinics, nonprofit organizations. So we were very purposeful, not only to identify and match an internal with an external stakeholder, but we also mismatched the organization. So you might have a K through 12 school partnered with someone from a hospital. And we did that because we really wanted to allow them to network and really expand. Because it's funny that you get the external folks and you ask them, what do you think this organization's been doing well in the last 18 months? You would almost think that they wouldn't have an answer, but they always do. There's always something.
2: Absolutely. And then I'd like to add on to that, that um, we found that even the people who self-identify as like, I know very well what this organization does. At the end of that first report out when they're in that semicircle there's always one or two people that were like, wow, I thought I knew everything that you guys did, but I didn't. Um, Now I want to know everything that you do (laughs) so that I can take advantage of the same opportunities.
3: I have made a comment that I felt guilty for rural AHAC because I pick on them a lot because their partners only touch maybe one part of their world, right? They work on pipeline and clinical experiences in our AHAC Scholars Program and continuing education. So if they were only partnering with a high school on a pipeline and all of a sudden this high school knows oh you also do x y and z how do I get on that and so they've really made a point of from this ripple effect uh, session is they've started sharing more about what they're doing I think they created a newsletter and they really tried Mm -hmm. to change their communication style with their stakeholders in order to expand their reach
0: based on what they learned I'm really glad that you drew out that point that it's actually really good to match people that don't know what's going on, like a K to 12 with like a higher ed, because I would have almost thought it would have been better for them to be sort of like a homogenous pairing so that they are speaking the same language. But I think probably for the the purpose of the conversation and drawing out themes, it's actually kind of better if they, maybe I'm realizing now, don't aren't so like-minded because then mm-hmm. they're really digging in and not making assumptions about what they know so absolutely I really like that point
3: point. and we have experienced actually more networking happening during these events where some of those partners have never met each other might have been partnered together and now they are going to connect on a separate topic together So mm-hmm. that's just a fun makes your heart tingle sort of outcome
0: yeah. It's a nice like ancillary benefit, it seems of the ripple well, effect mapping. Like you don't go into it as a networking event, but then it turns. But it really is, it, right? Yeah, it, it really is, which yeah. It,
3: and a great opportunity sense. that we haven't had a chance to do yet, but it's, it's on my wish list is for ripple effect mapping, it's not supposed to be a one-time event. So mm-hmm. in theory, you go back to the same group in 18 to 24 months And you can plaster your original map into pieces on the wall Mm -hmm. and ask the same participants to come back and add to it. It's a little bit different of measure because you don't need the appreciative inquiry exercise, but it's more dialogue and conversation of, hey, what has happened since then Mm -hmm. to add it? And I would love to see some of those networking opportunities come up on the, what are the ripples of the ripples? I don't know
2: what they call the second session. I think it's it's really the ripples on the ripples. Pretty much
3: <laughs> Did I coin but a new term? Do I get any
2: credit for that?
0: No. Oh, darn. But it, R- it is R- really nice. R R E M has ripples of the ripples of that thing. <laughs> R E M squared?
1: R-E-M, yeah, R E M squared. Love that. <laughs> I had a question about the extent to which you've tried to include program participants in the ripple effect mapping along with other kind of stakeholders. Yeah. I'm have you tried that and what the
2: experience was? Absolutely. So a couple times we've had the actual, you know, the students that haven't gotten impact from this program be there. We've had one, however, like a couple times they have class on Fridays so, especially if they're health profession students, and we deal a lot with health profession programs. So, what they will do uh, is I'll send them the appreciative inquiry questions to answer by themselves, and then they'll send me their responses. And then I'll incorporate them into the map. And surprisingly, even though they're not being interviewed by someone else, or you know, they don't even they haven't even heard the rem session because we don't record it for people to rewatch, The answers are very similar. So it's very easy to reincorporate their answers in there. So if there is someone who's like, I really want to participate, I want to give you my response for those student participants or, you know, just participants in general, the community members, that we can always add those.
1: Do you have any thoughts about, my mind is like really churning now. And it's okay if if you don't, but do you have any thoughts about if you're working with Or if a program is working with vulnerable populations and the the participants are either like younger children or, I don't know, any vulnerable group, how you might go about including those groups or populations in the ripple effect mapping process alongside other people in the organization or other stakeholders, acknowledging that there might be some really interesting power dynamics happening in, Mm -hmm. in the room.
2: So one of the ways that you could do this is hold a separate one for those, like especially if you have programs involving children are always very delicate programs. You need a lot of special permissions. And if you put them in a room with adults, you have to have background checks. So for children specifically, absolutely a second session. And then you can use the same kind of thing to pair them together. And that would be super cute. And then for just like other vulnerable populations, you can do that. If if they feel uncomfortable being in the same room as those, you know, the power dynamic people, just do a second ripple effect mapping session, and then just do a very similar thing, you know, and then incorporate both sides together. So you'll have one map, but you'll have the executive programming side, and then you'll have the population side, which would be really cool to incorporate together.
3: We had a lot of great conversations with participants at a training, was it last October, Sarah, or has it been a year? I feel like COVID Mm -hmm. has changed my concept of time, but they wanted us to do a ripple effect mapping training session. And because we were unable to get together in person, we had to do it online, which it was fun. We thought it was just for Indiana folks. And we ended up having folks from around the nation. So, I mean, it was a blast. But we were having a lot of great conversation about, well, how do you do this if someone maybe English is not their first language? Or how do you change it for these different nuances to make sure that you are tailoring it for your audience? And just like Sarah said, you can have multiple sessions. That's 100% okay. Because we all know that making sure that your participant's voice is really important in these sessions. Mm -hmm.
0: So there's a lot of preparation that clearly goes on behind the scenes before you get to the point of the Riffle effect mapping. Like when you described it and you're like, well, it's just two hours, but like you, you want to like carefully construct the participants. You want to be pairing them in advance. There's like a lot of prep that it seems like goes into getting to that two hours. And so it sounds kind of a lot like teaching, right? Like you've got your class and you do all this work on the back end to like teach your class. And then you're kind of, you go into it and um, you, you have a plan for sure, but you, you really don't know how it's going to go until you show up to class that day with your students and they're bringing everything that all their, their baggage and everything to the table and you're bringing yours to the table. And you can start to see sometimes things are going as planned or maybe not going as planned. And so I'm wondering kind of like a teacher who's like experienced and knows what they're doing, they can kind of sense what's going on and, and make pivots and shift. In this instance, how does like the experienced facilitator uh, maybe pivot if there's, you know, what challenges might they be seeing in real time and, and what pivots or accommodations might they make for the group to keep things running smoothly?
3: Uh, stay flexible. That is yeah. definitely number one, right? And so this is why I always love having make sure the two co-facilitators, because then if one's sensing it, we can all collaborate together and say, Sarah, this is what we need to do. We've had too many people show up where with over twenty-four because too many people were invited. We've had situations where maybe people didn't seem to be getting along very well. We've had situations where people don't show up, and we've had to pivot the pairings. And that's okay, right? Because it's all about preparation in advance. We have a clear understanding of who's supposed to be there and not supposed to be there. And we're never going to turn someone away. So it's more of the, hey, how's it going? Try to get their life story real fast so we know where to properly put them. Sometimes the appreciative inquiry just kind of dies down or you could tell that becomes more networking chatter. And we're okay with kind of cutting that off a little bit early and taking a break, giving them an extra five minutes and then regrouping as the second half of the event starts maybe a little early. It's just reading the room, just like this, you're reading your students. It's just understanding of keeping the flow going so people don't feel like they're just sitting there for no purpose, because we want to be very valuable with their time. These are some, in some cases, high level executives attending, so.
2: Absolutely. And I'll piggyback off of that, um, that your moderator choice is very important because of that. They have to be well-versed in being able to, like if there is tension happening to be able to kind of like cool it down, flip the script a little bit, you know, and, you know, keep it moving along. I definitely have flashbacks to when there was over 24 people in that session. Uh, that was a nightmare to be completely honest for me. Cause I, I'm usually the only person capturing stuff. Sometimes you can have the person who's doing a live map and then a overflow catcher. That would have been nice to have that day, but you know, you make it work. What we did do is we made pairs for the larger group. We had the pairs go first. that had to like a hard stop at this day, time. So that the people who didn't have a hard stop could still stay and we could still capture everything that was going on. But I like to get, I like to stay in the back because that's that's my role is to sit behind the computer and the technology while the moderators do the hard work. So like, like exactly like Jen said, it's, you have to be flexible. You have to have good moderators. I like having two because, you know, one can be talking to one half of the room, the other can be talking about this and then they can be like, you know, the comedy show. (laughs) It's fun. It
1: does feel like, it, it requires a nice mix of personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys seem to have figured it out nicely. You have kind of the more gregarious, extroverted people up there moderating and then the the people who don't mind hiding behind the computer, which <laughs> I would put myself in the latter category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doing the, the mapping, which is, it, that
3: seems great. Ironically, we, I think the both facilitators that we've used, we're extroverted introverts. We can be extroverted for a finite amount of time (laughs) and
1: then we need to run away (laughs) and regroup. It's a good skill to have though. So after you do this process, right, and you have this, um, the map and you share it out um, and you get feedback and you kind of come to some consensus that everyone feels good about, then what? So what do you do? with the map and what are the different ways in which you've seen organizations kind of use it for various purposes?
2: So we send it once everything's all done and finalized, we send it to the person or the organization who wanted this done. And then they can look at it and see the unexpected outcomes will be on there. And usually stuff will be like, Oh, I wish there was more mental health first aid trainings that come out. So they'll use that information to strategically influence what they're going to be doing in the community. Like we'll highlight some stuff like, oh, you know, this person said X, this person said Y, they want more CE offerings, CE is continuing education. They want more mental health first aid training. They wish that they knew in high school about, you know, the stuff that you're offering the hospitals. So then that organization started doing a newsletter, not just specific to high schools, but Broadly, so everyone knew about all of their programming. So that's kind of how they end up using it. And then usually they're in contact with the people who are in these REM sessions. So once you plant that seed in there, that there's all this stuff happening behind the scenes, they will be more than happy to reach out to you and be like, "Hey, I heard in the Reflect Mapping system that you do X. Can you do X for me? Because you're, I know you're doing Y and Z, but I want X too."
3: it gives a really great objective look, right, at what is going on, a snapshot of a program or a center. And it, for the centers that we've done it with, besides our rural AHEC, I have heard that they've used it, for example, their advisory boards or their board of directors and just kind of sharing of this is what's going on, the good, the bad, the unexpected positives or negatives, because... If we're going to ever make a change, we need to know what's going on instead of just looking at the positives. So I think it's been really valuable from what I understand, because I mean we've done RIM sessions and then had participants ask us to then come to their organization and do a RIM session. Does that count as a ripple effect where we're doing more and more
0: because people are hearing about it? Because it's a different kind of a ripple. About. Like you've identified a r- an, a, yet a new type of ripple. There's like- Very meta. Yes, very meta. This is like a meta ripple, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's it's perfect. A ripple.
3: <laughs> and this, and the funny part is we just do this because we enjoy it, right? Because we had the opportunity to learn about it from like the man himself and do it for our interprofessional education center, who then other people have heard about it. So we did it for our AHEC because that's where our love is. And then we just continue to people reach out asking questions on how to do so. We're happy to help, but this this, this is not the the key point of our jobs as evaluators. We're just it's just a fun added way for us to show the impact of what's going on in our communities. Another tool in the toolbox. Absolutely, yeah.
2: like we don't charge for it, like at all.
1: <laughs> oh, that's very nice. <laughs> mostly because we enjoy it, and we get like, like a half day off. At the end.
0: And and donuts. I think donuts and donuts, 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 like donuts, donuts. donuts and coffee. And
3: because I'm in academia, I mean, I have I want to be able to publish on it. So we've taken like one of our sessions, and we've been able to publish. So, just some I bonus points for
1: that. non-monetary benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question, I I.
0: I I don't want to assume I know the answer, although I suspect I have an answer, is um, around the appreciative inquiry and as like participants are kind of um, thinking about what they would like to see in the world, which I think is part of the appreciative inquiry. It's kind of like, what is that desired state? I can imagine that's where they're drumming up lots of suggestions for other programming or other considerations and and what teed this off Sarah was when you were talking about like what do we what do you do with this information like you hand it back to organization that requested it and then they're kind of seeing like oh we'd like more X we'd like more Y we'd like more Z. And I'm wondering if during appreciative inquiry if the moderators are steering the conversation in any way, thinking about like the capacity of the organization, like, oh, they're not going to do X, Y, or Z, or you just take everything as it is. And then it's up to the organization that requested the REM session to decide what they're going to do or not going to do. But ultimately this is the perspective of the participants. Absolutely. You're you're nodding. Okay. And that's what I suspected that there wouldn't be filtering because that would
2: be kind of bias I, by yeah it, you it, don't want to include that it,
0: but yeah I just wanted to like kind of make sure that there isn't kind of any like trimming of the data as it's coming in you know you're truly capturing the perspective of the participants and feeding it back to the organization
3: think focus group mentality yeah your job is just to listen and capture and that's of what the facilitators are doing. And yep. instead of just listening, though, we're still trying to probe for additional information. But if that's the beauty of having the objective, third-party, non-biased facilitators is we don't know. And it's not really our job to care of what happens to the next. Our job is to try to collect as many of the positive, negative ideas, et cetera, thoughts and comments so that we can give a more clear picture to the, the organization of what's going on. Mm-hmm. We can paint
0: that picture. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. With COVID, have you guys been able to do our REM sessions virtually, or has it been kind of put on hold?
2: We've we've done one session virtually. Um, it was our first one, and that's one where we talked about, like we thought it was just going to be Indiana people, and we had people, poor unfortunate souls from like the west coast because it was like a 9 a.m session so you know they were getting up at six o'clock in the morning to attend this and it actually worked really well I was pleasantly surprised on how well it went I was a bit nervous because obviously you're used to being in that semicircle thing and watching it come naturally we were afraid that that conversation wouldn't grow as much as it should and honestly I think it was pretty successful to be honest Minus the part where like, we didn't, our appreciative inquiry questions were a little too specific for Indiana folks. So there wasn't that connection that like the people on the West coast could have had. And so that's kind of also why it's so important to know who your audience is going to be ahead of time so that you can tailor those questions. But we've done one. So which was absolutely.
3: And that's where the flexibility comes in. So that one session was actually a a training session. It wasn't an actual organization asking us to do a RIM session. It was the local uh, statewide evaluation association said, we would like you to do a training session on ripple effect mapping. And of course we said yes, because we have fun doing it. And so in order to best train on it is to go through it, right? To do it. And so we tried to facilitate the training into basically a mock REM session so that we can walk folks through the, let them experience it, and then come together. And so we didn't do any of the back end mind mapping analysis to give it back to the organization. That was all off the table, thank goodness. But what our challenge was is because it was for an Indiana organization, we really tailored the questions, number one, for Indiana. And number two, although we had the registration, I think there was over 100 that was supposed to be registered. So mm-hmm. it was not the typical no more than 24. We, didn't, we knew we weren't going to listen to all pairs. We were just trying to piecemeal and, and really go with the flow. But as Sarah said, we had the challenge not realizing that the group had opened it up beyond the Indiana borders. So we had very Indiana-specific questions like, what do you think about this Evaluation Association? And what is your impact? And you have folks in Washington and Pennsylvania going, I don't know. I don't know anything about you guys. Made it a very natural peripheral group, but maybe too peripheral. (laughs) So we tried to modify the questions a little bit to make it a little bit more general we really had people not go into the zoom breakout session when it was supposed to be appreciative inquiry. I mean, there was really the gamut of you had to have fun with it and stay flexible, but I think it worked out really well in the end. People got a great taste of the good and the unexpected (laughs) impact of ripple effect mapping. And, but we haven't had the opportunity to do another one since then, or since COVID we were going to do one for our Southwest central uh, center Sorry. And because of COVID, it's been delayed. And I would like to do a follow-up with our, our East Indiana AHEC because they're the ones that did it about two years ago. And again, that's been on hold until we can get everyone together
0: in person. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have a, a question. I'm kind of backtracking in the process a little bit, but the appreciative inquiry questions, do you guys co-develop those with the organization requesting the... Yeah. The yes. um, REM session? Okay. That, we absolutely. want to know
3: what they're hoping to get out of the session. Mm-hmm. And so while we may draft the initial questions, we definitely share it with the organization for feedback and changes and ideas. So there's yeah. a general theme of what have they done well? What would you like to see improved? What do you mm-hmm. like to see in the future sort of mentality? But we do ask them to think about what are they hoping to gain from the experience?
2: hmm
1: I have another practical question. Is there a report that accompanies the map that you're providing or some kind of like collateral document that explains like what, how to interpret it, how to use
2: it or what or what the themes are? So usually, yes, Um, it's usually pretty brief. I'll, I'll write up something like this is as I finish coding it. This is what X said. This is what Y said. I made changes based on these emails that I got to, and I will sometimes I'll even change bubble colors. So in the X mind, you can change the color of the little text bubbles that pop up. So they'll get, it's very brief. Um, it's not like a, a true report, mostly because we talked to the, person we're doing the ripple map for really very well. So they kind of know what to expect. and They know what's going to come up in this report in the pipeline. So nothing super official, but like all outline. like this is what I've heard. This is what it says here. Pay attention to X, Y, and Z in the unexpected outcomes. Look at pipeline programming for X, for more programs for this high school, stuff like that. And the, we're
3: pretty confident on the validity of all this analysis that's going on because while Sarah's putting things in place, we've had conversations with the three of us that have worked on the REM team to make sure that we're all confirming or having dialogue in any sessions or maybe sections that we haven't all agreed on to make sure that we get that confirmation validity happening.
1: I'm just thinking in terms of like what you, and I guess if you're doing this for free, it really, they they maybe have different expectations for what they should get as a deliverable back from you guys. But I'm I'm just trying to picture what, what it would look like. Do you give them like a, a map? Like, like, it's like, a, is it just digital or are you printing it out? Is
2: it, do you make it pretty or is it, what does it look like? So I, uh, I do make it look pretty as much as I can. So like, if they have colors in their logo, I'll try to keep with those core colors. Uh-huh. You can pay for X Mine to make it like the lines that connect them taper beautifully like ribbons. Right. <laughs> I don't do that very often. <laughs> But I'll I'll make it kind of match their logo and kind of their style. And then I export it out into an image and it's just like a high quality image and they can print it if they want, right. but these usually maps are so large. Gosh, I think I tr- accidentally printed it once <laughs> and it was like 16 pages because of how large it was, mm-hmm. but so you really
1: have to send it to a real printer if you want it to be printed. Yes, in absolutely. Kind of scale in the way, yeah
2: it would make a beautiful wall mural it would be cool that's what i'm thinking (laughs) it's exactly what i
0: was thinking yeah
2: sometimes i'll even send them the um, finalized x mind document because what's really nice about that is it's in the program itself and then you can like hone in on certain topics and you can like close everything down and only focus on this one topic and then branch it out so if they just want to look i want to focus on this one topic right now or this week we'll look at that together kind of
1: thing. Right. Because otherwise it could get, I guess, overwhelming if you're kind of looking at everything at the same time. Mm. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Did you guys consider software other than Xmind or do you know of other software out there that gives similar functionality that folks might want to look into? I mean, I could do the Google search, but I was just wondering if you guys had done a search of tools and like Xmind was the one that just really worked for you.
2: I did, um, and I. This was back when we first started this, and that was the only one that I liked enough that was free. I know there's more out there, right? um, But at that time, like we had a small budget. We do have a smaller budget, so.
0: Well, and to I liked what you said that you can send the file to the client and that they can also view it because I think some of the challenge sometimes is that then you have to have licenses. Like we've looked at some data visualization tools where it's like, then you have to have guest licenses for a client to see their dashboard, you know? So it can get really, it can get tricky and expensive when you're trying to Mm -hmm. share out this information. So yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with free because you want that information though, to be accessible. It's like balancing accessibility and like the aesthetics of it, you know? being absolutely looking and then.
2: even if like let's say you pay for the fancy version of x mind and then your partner just downloads the free version um, and you send them that file they'll still see the pretty version they just won't be able to add to the pretty aesthetic you know mm-hmm. like if they wanted to switch something around you would have to do that but since the map is final they shouldn't really be messing with that too much <laughs> yeah ideally ideally.
1: (laughs) Have you ever, have you seen an organization use it? We do a lot of theory of change work and we have, you know, we've experimented with various processes for kind of pulling out of, you know, organizational stakeholders, what their theory of change is and making sense of it. And it does seem like this process could be useful in terms of informing the theory of change work and thinking about how a program works, what it's trying to accomplish, how, how activities connect to outcomes have you seen organizations use it that way or, or no? Mm-mm. No, but no. it could be, because it's a, a one snapshot
3: at the moment. We haven't seen an organization yeah. do multiples, but that would be great to find an organization that's already been through this process and have done it multiple times to see how they have incorporated that into their model.
1: Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Can you talk about that? So. You would think that they would need to do several rounds of it kind of over time in order to kind of understand maybe causality or understand kind of how outcomes unfold?
3: Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if you think about it, at least in health workforce development, which is the key to what Sarah and I do, we don't see any immediate outcomes, right? And so, for example, if we're working with soon-to-be medical students, we might start working with them in high school. And by the time they're practicing, that's what, 12 years longer? And so we would need, in theory, to do multiple ripple effect math sessions over the course of those 12 years to see are we continually to move in the right direction to support that trajectory for health workforce development. It also, I think, could help someone or an organization if they are encountering potential mission creep to see if they are staying
2: on the same track. Yeah. And I think it's possible if you have, if you want to measure change in short-term outcomes, it would be. Long-term outcomes like what we do, it that would be crazy <laughs> the way we do it because 12 to 16 years for one participant is, is rough. But at the same time, if you're looking at a smaller level, I it could show it. That's what kind of that follow-up, like, let's say you have um, those unexpected outcomes. Sometimes that's the negatives. You get negatives in there, which is completely fine. But then if you target those negatives, like, let's say, you know, there's not enough communication from the organization coming out to the volunteers of this program, you know, that organization can start making that change. And then in that 12 months or 24 months, they can then look at it again and do that blow up and did this change? And then that's when people can say, okay, yeah, we'll cross it out. That's not a problem anymore. So you can then kind of incorporate it that way, but only on those smaller short-term, I would like to think.
1: It certainly seems really applicable for just informing general program design and Mm -hmm. strategy. And I love the idea. I mean, I think The first thing I thought of when you guys were talking about it was the ways in which it could help organizations identify the mission creep, like Mm -hmm. basically, or just any kind of scope creep. (laughs) Because I think so often you would hear from uh, somebody participating in a program that that maybe the program is doing all of these different things for them, or, you know, they're engaging in all these different ways that are actually not central at all to the way the 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 program is supposed to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. intervening in their lives. So I think for, for, for that alone, it, it seems super useful.
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, I'm mindful of the time. And I feel like if we had outro music, it would start to play right now. But (laughs) I mean, I guess we do have outro music for our podcast, but like, um, what is it like at the Oscars and you have like the music that starts to play and to be like, okay, you have to go now. Um, <laughs> um, Cause this is such a joy. Um, I guess, you know, you guys had mentioned doing a training. Do you have any trainings coming up on the horizon or anything that you would like to highlight for listeners where they can either <laughs> learn more about um, REM or if you even have publications that are coming out that you want to highlight, you know, just, Any way that folks can follow you or or learn more, um, we'd love to share that out.
3: Well, we're always happy to have people reach out to us. That is not a concern for either of us. I'm sure I'll speak on Sarah on that one. Absolutely. Um, Our trainings, like I said, we don't, this isn't a core part of our work because uh, we are both with a university um, together there's that service as part of our core mission. And so our doing REM session for our partners and collaborators across the state, that is just part of our service, right, to the community that is just embedded into the work that we do, which means we don't have planned trainings. We did the one for the Indiana Evaluation Association because they asked us to, and we're always happy to do so when people Mm -hmm. ask us to. And so that's more of the the more of the same, right? Just feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to help as we can. I mean, we've done presentations on this at conferences. We did a publication on it in 2020. I think it's when it came out, but because we haven't had any more REM sessions because of COVID, there's no more manuscripts on the horizon for it. Other evaluation stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we'll get there once every, hopefully everything starts going to normal more maybe wouldn't Ish.
3: that be interesting some post-covid rem sessions what has happened over the last 24 months that's impacted your program
1: mm-hmm. oh, those yeah. would be some fascinating ones mm-hmm. yep. nice. it would be really great for learning about because one of the things we hear from a lot of organizations we've talked to with covid is the the things they've learned to do programmatically um, that they wouldn't have maybe learned to do in the absence of a pandemic. So, you know, like telehealth for, for, health organizations or Absolutely. just even remote teaching or any kind of digital development that that's happened with education programs we work with. Um, so just, I, I totally agree. I think that the ripple mapping would help kind of bring out some of these things that mm-hmm. maybe, you know, there've been a lot of sad things, but there have also been, I think a lot of, developments professionally for, for these the silver lining
2: of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, I would feel that completely. Cause I think if you would have asked us in 2019, um, if we would have ever done a mock session virtually, we would have told you, no, that's not possible. But then we did it because, you know, we had to, um, well, I mean, we could have turned down it, but like, we're here to help people and we want to ha- them to have access to these tools to use in their own life. So now we can't. We know we can do it, you know, virtually. So I completely agree with that.
1: Yeah, that's true for so many nonprofits. I mean, if you're there to help people, you figure out a way to do it. And, yeah. you know, in some ways that's going to help you innovate. And maybe there's some things that are going to last, you know, beyond the pandemic for these organizations. So, yeah.
0: Necessity. Thank you is the so much. Invention. I feel
1: like this was a very productive hour for me. I've learned a lot and yeah. I'm really happy that you guys came on and, and taught us.
3: It's impressive because
1: without seeing the map, I'm
3: sure I can imagine what you're picturing in your mind right now, what this (laughs) looks like. (laughs) Well, I'll give you a little background.
1: Jen actually, Jen found you guys and she was like, we should have these people on. And I said, okay, sure. And then she sent me a bunch of material. So I did, I did peruse. It's not like I didn't come with a completely blank slate. I did right. peruse the materials ahead of time so that I wouldn't sound like a total idiot, but I was pretty new to it. And I, you know, I, I didn't totally understand it, but I feel like I have a good sense now. So it's it a lot yeah. of fun.
2: Visually, I, I like doing. to say it's like a spider web. you know it's had that central and then it just expands out yeah so absolutely
0: and it's good for visual learners too like those you know those folks that process visually um Mm -hmm. i think it's a great it, it, it sounds just like a great tool and your enthusiasm for it has like sold me as well i was i was keen on it before, which is why I was like, we should, we should do this. We should, we should talk to Jen and Sarah if if they'll have us. (laughs) So much fun! And And then your enthusiasm for it is just like next level. Like I didn't expect that. And so like, I'm, I'm super excited about that part of it. So yeah. Thank you. When
3: this all started, Sarah and I were training from, got about it for the interprofessional education center. And a colleague of mine came in that ended up being one of our co-facilitators because of course we had to get him trained and he was stuck came running in from one of our regional AHECs, so excited because he's like, we need to figure out how to capture everything that these stakeholders are doing and these partners are doing. And he was thinking focus groups or whatnot. And I just looked at him going, well, what about ripple effect mapping? And he will tell this story with more enthusiasm than Sarah and I have and talk about how he had goosebumps and he was so excited. But I think it's because this is such a fun way for us to be data nerds without like more pressure because we really get to just,
0: tell the story of other people. Yeah. Yeah. Our theme this season is inclusivity. And I think you're really hitting that home because you're, you're telling the story of the people that are living Mm -hmm. this pro, you know, whatever program and then the part, you know, participants as well. And so, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. So thank you. Well, We'll provide some links on our uh, episode page to uh, some of the resources that you mentioned. I don't recall the publication, but uh, we'll link to it. The the field guide. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yep. We'll Mm -hmm. link to the field guide. Um, And if there's any other materials you think would be useful for listeners to be able to like visually see, send them our way and we'll put them on our webpage all right sounds good all right well thank you guys so much we we've been so generous with your your time and your and your enthusiasm so just really appreciate it no problem thank you for having us yeah it was a lot of fun thanks so much thank you so much for joining our conversation in our next episode we'll be talking with debbie gowan smith who's Vice President of Groundswell Services, and Martha Brown, President and Founder of RJAE Consulting. Debbie and Martha will share their experiences conducting trauma-informed evaluations. Additionally, Martha is currently doing work to help organizations become more trauma-informed. So we'll use their expertise to contextualize their work as evaluators within the larger context of trauma-informed organizations and programs. We're so, so excited to share Debbie and Martha's expertise with you and to learn from them. We so hope you'll join us. Thank you as always for sharing your time and being part of this journey with us. Until next time.